right, we are beginning a new series called Collide, uh, about how the, the faith in Christ often collides with our culture that we see around us all the time. And it's interesting because since the advent of the church that when Jesus came and, and when you had the synagogues with the Jews and everything, and then initiated the, the New Testament church, that um, even from the time of Christ when he lived there, the ways of God and the ways of our culture have radically collided. Um, there have been many throughout the years who have tried to spread false teachings about what it means to be people of God. Uh, Paul considered these thoughts hollow and deceptive, and he warned Christians to be careful to believe what is true and to test that to make sure that we are of the faith. Today's message is called simply stand firm on a simple truth to the gospel. And if you want to, we'll be in Colossians chapter 2 here in a little bit. As we realize the world tries to alter and water down the gospel of Jesus. It even tries to spread false truths uh, about it being, and just being aware of this for us is not enough. There are many uh, books that are hundreds of years old that other churches claim to be the the Gnostic Gospels and uh, are actually just heresies. Many have believed them and bought into them. We've seen many churches today, whether it's uh, uh, with Jim Jones or some of the other churches that have gone off with radical beliefs. Um, but we also see more importantly, just the reality of our culture coming into confrontation with what the Bible says we are to believe and be as Christians. Now, a lot of these truths that the world offers, kind of like advertising, are not only deceptive, but they're also very enticing and tempting. But they will not provide us with the abundant life that only Jesus Christ and salvation in Him can bring. So collide, the gospel colliding with our culture. And since the beginning of the Christian faith, we've been on a collision course with our culture around us because the values of the world do not align with the values of our faith. And that's why in the moment of salvation, we are given a new spirit, we are a new creation, and we live under a new way of morality and values. Because the priorities of this world just don't align with the Christian faith. The kingdom of man is not seeking the same things as the kingdom of God, and therefore we collide with it. The kingdom of man is self-seeking, give to me. The kingdom of God is giving and bless others. And we shouldn't be surprised when, the experience, when we experience conflict and collision with our culture. Instead, I personally believe that when we have this collision with our culture, we should see it as a blessing because it tells us that we are living a life for Christ. If we go through life as a Christian and have no collision with our culture, then I believe we've watered down the gospel of Christ ourselves in our lives because there is no collision. And as a Christian, you and I are going to have collision. A number of years ago with, with uh, the company I worked for, I ended up in the HR department from being falsely accused of something. And in that time, I was both very angry and scared. And when I told my side of the story, I was completely cleared because it was a falsehood. But obviously my face through the time for being angry and scared had been a little bright red and probably about to burst because I was so mad. And my manager leaned over at me and he said, John, 
Don't stress it. Don't worry about it. If you're not in HR once or twice a year, you're not even trying. Now, I don't exactly believe with that philosophy, believe the same as my manager did with my philosophy, but I do believe in the philosophy that as we live our Christian lives, we are going to be in some form of conflict with our culture around us on a regular basis. We're going to collide with culture if we're truly living our faith. Why? Because the gospel message of the Bible and how it calls us to live directly collides with our culture. Truth be told, if we are truly living our faith, we're on a collision course with those who live in the worldly culture around us. And for us, that's not a bad thing because it's actually a sign that we are truly living our lives for Christ. Now think about Jesus. He collided with the culture around him all the time in his three years of ministry. He confronted the religious hypocrites. He drove out the prophet gatherers in the church and took advantage of people. He drove them out literally with a whip. He didn't tell the rich young ruler what he wanted to hear to tickle his ears about how to get to heaven. Jesus hung out with sinners. He hung out with the unclean. He hung out with the unholy to bring them the gospel. And in our neighborhood here alone, we have the gay pride center. We have encouragement for homosexuality. We have abortion clinics. We collide with culture if we're truly living for our faith. Have you ever been out for a walk or a hike and hit what I call a rough patch? You know, it's that place where you're out and you're walking along and you're putting your feet down on what's below you and you honestly don't know if you're gonna roll your ankle or if it's gonna be solid ground underneath you. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Christy and Tara and I had one of those uh, experiences a couple years ago, and I don't remember the hike that we're doing, but it was a winter hike. I think Christy and Tara had snowshoes, and I didn't. And we're hiking upon the snow, and you know, it's, it's a couple feet deep, and we're hiking across it, and it was kind of a rough patch in the snow. And as we're going along, all of a sudden, the snow gives way beneath my foot, and I end up up to my hips in the snow. And there's my leg dangling down in the snow and I'm kind of sideways and luckily the rest of the snow caught, caught me, but it was a rough patch. And if we live our lives off the ways of the world, my point here this morning is we are going to be living and walking on a rough patch in life because we never know when worldly ways are going to change. Because the ways of the world, the, the culture that we live in constantly changes. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and read with it the encouragement of Paul not to live in this rough patch of constantly changing morality and values in our world, but to stick to the gospel of Christ, realizing that we are on a, on a collision course with culture. Paul states in Colossians 2, 8, he says, see to it. In other words, make effort, make this a point in your life, make this a priority, see to it that no one takes you captive through the hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than Christ. In essence, what the Apostle Paul is calling us to do is to stand firm on the gospel and to not waver, to not be enticed and tempted to live in the worldly ways of our culture with their values and their morality, to live in the rough patch of changing values that our world has because if you live in a worldly values you never know when they're really going to change because worldly values are inconsistent I mean here's a couple examples 
10 years ago, if your football team was named the Redskins, that was a really good thing. And you were proud of that and you did the Indian hatchet thing. Nowadays, if you're called the Redskins, well, that's prejudice and you need to change the name of your football team. A few years ago, it was unheard of that boys would be changing clothes in women's locker rooms and women changing clothes in boys' locker rooms, but nowadays it's actually encouraged. In fact, I just heard a story about a little cheerleader who had boys changing in the girls' locker room. She did a protest, and instead of praising her and thanking her, they kicked her off the team for being prejudiced. It used to be standard that women would stay at home as homemakers and mothers, but now, oh my goodness, if you're not working a full-time job, well, you're seen as kind of a loser. It used to be okay years ago to be able to express your freedom to be vaccinated or not, but now if you don't get vaccinated and you speak out, my gosh, you're an anti-vaxxer and you're a bigot. And the list goes on and on, doesn't it? The ways of the world and the culture changes constantly around us and living on those values is like living and walking on a rough patch through life. So point number one, worldly values are inconsistent. And there's two primary models of the world I think that we deal with. Number one, the world says, hey, just follow your heart. Follow your heart. And number two, the world says, as you follow your heart, do whatever makes you what? Happy and feel good. Don't worry about the consequence. Don't worry about what it does to other people. You just follow your heart because your heart is right and do whatever makes you happy and feel good. Well, how's the Bible collide with that philosophy? Well, number one, Jeremiah 17, nine says this about the heart says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, that kind of collides with this feeling of just follow your heart because the Bible says if you just follow your heart and the feelings that are there, well, it's deceitful and it's beyond cure. In other words, it's going to lead you into trouble. Matthew 10, 39 goes on to say this. Whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for the sake of Christ will find it well that blows the the water out of do whatever makes you happy right because as we've talked about many times before the ways of God are not our ways they are not the ways that our heart sees it and if you look at our culture now everyone has the importance of I need to express myself I need to have the ability to be who I want to be and dress how I want to dress and talk like I want to talk and do whatever I, I do because that's right for me. And yet the gospel comes out adamantly and says, no, if you are a follower of Christ, this is how your life will look. You will obey the words of my father and my teaching. You will be giving person. You will be faithful and committed. Your life will look different than the world. Well, we've also seen in the world the craziness of what those personal thoughts look like, right? 
when everybody lives their own way, there's no standard, there's no way of, of doing things. I mean, I think growing up, we used to have a uniform. Now you go into the, the buildings and, and there's no dress code. People are just doing what they want. And it's crazy. The key role of the world in our culture is what Satan entices with is do whatever makes you happy. Well, happiness is a feeling. And what happens to feelings? Well, they come and they what? They go. It could depend on the day, it could depend on how you wake up, if you had a good night's sleep, it could depend on if you ate a bad burrito 10 minutes ago. Feelings change and so do the culture, so does our culture and the morality and values of our world. But the Word of God states of itself that it what? Stands forever. And you know the crazy thing is the people say, well the Bible that's an old antiquated book. But when you read the Bible you see that the people of that culture had the very same sin issues that we have now, don't they? I mean, things really haven't changed in 2,000 some years. Yeah, there's a little technology thrown in, but sometimes that makes it easier to sin, right? The issues that the people dealt with in the time of Christ were the same issues that we dealt with today. And when Christ came on the scene with the gospel, he clashed not only with culture, but with the religious leaders who wanted to control people by not teaching them the Word of God holy, but in their version of the Word of God. Our world's inconsistent. Let's look at it this way. Do you still look at the world the same way that you did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? I don't. In fact, I look back and I think in high school, I had a girlfriend for a couple years and I thought that I was in what? Love. And this girl was it. And man, we've been together a couple years, so life was set, we're gonna get married, we're gonna do all this stuff, we're gonna be together, and it's gonna be perfect. Then I went away for a summer and came back and found out some things I didn't really like and expect, and we broke up. And then about three, four months later, I realized something very important. Now, this may sound cruel, but you can probably relate with this somewhere in your life. I dodged a bullet. Because I look back at that girl, and she was so self-absorbed and cruel, and life was all about her. It wasn't about giving in the relationship, it was about what she could get. I saw it in her in our relationship, I saw it in a relationship with her and her step-parents, and it was all about her and her view. And I looked back at that and thought, man, if we would have gotten married, oh my gosh, my life would have been so much different. Now it sounds cruel, but can you relate? That if you would have made a life decision 40, 50 years ago, how that would have radically changed your life by living in the ways that you saw things then, saw things then. I mean, I look back at how I looked at the world in junior high and how I look at life now, and it's radically different. In junior high, I was provided for to some extent. I didn't have to go out and get a job to get food or to have clothing or shelter. It was provided. Now, years later, I'm on the other end as the provider, not the one being provided for, and things change. 1 Corinthians 7 kind of gives us an idea of this, even within the marriage relationship and singleness. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 to 35 tell us this, as Paul speaks. He says, but I want you to be free from concern. For one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And hopefully everyone who's single in here, that's your mindset. 
is how you may please and serve the Lord. Verse 33, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. You see, even in the marriage context of the church, Paul says, you know, there are dividing factors in how you live. And you need to realize where your focus is. Matthew 7, verse 24, goes on to tell us this, that Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he says about how we should build our lives and what we should build our lives on. And I want you to notice that he doesn't say we should build our lives on the culture and beliefs of this world. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, in other words, when the culture or the world changed and things came against you, it did not fall. Glory had been founded on the rock being the gospel and teachings of Jesus. But then he goes on to say, everyone who hears these words of mine, the gospel message, the ways of God, and does not act upon them, will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. For believers, Jesus is commanding us and calling us to listen to his words and found our lives upon them on the firm foundation because the word of God does not change. And the word of God compels us to realize that there is a difference between happiness and joy. Joy is an attitude, a condition of the mind, a condition of how we view the world because the Holy Spirit was, is within us. Joy has nothing to do with the changing culture of the world, with whether life is going good or life is going bad, whether we're with plenty or we're without. Joy and contentment in Christ is a mindset and attitude of how God blesses us to look at the world and get through life with hope, knowing that this life is temporary, and yet we have an eternity with Christ that is yet to come. Happiness, on the other hand, changes like that. It's an emotion, it's a feeling, and if it's based on do whatever makes you happy, I can speak from experience, if you live your life that way, you will be hurt and wounded. And you'll look around thinking, how can this happen? I was just doing what made me happy. Because happiness has no intent on focusing on what is right or wrong, what is godly or what is ungodly, what is holy or what is sinful. Happiness just says, do whatever you feel right about. Whatever makes you feel good. Point number two, worldly values in our culture are seductive. Another word for seductive is enticing. That means to, to lure someone in. I always think back of when I first learned about what the Greek word for sin, the symbol of that word was. And it's simply this. The Greek word for sin, the symbolism of it was a fishing lure or a fishing hook, where you put something deadly on this line that was intended to go 
and be thrown into water and be seductive and enticing to a fish that the fish looked and said, hey, that looks like something good to swallow and eat. I'm gonna go and catch that. But we all know when the fish takes bite of that lure or that hook, what happens? When they take bite of that thing that is seductive and enticing, that looks and feels good to them, that hook catches in and it drags them literally to their death, to a place of where they don't want to go. You see, that's the imagery of sin in our world. Sin looks enticing and seductive. Doing your own thing, making what makes you feel happy, looks enticing and seductive and it feels good. Even the Bible says that sin, what? Feels good for a season and then dun, 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 comes payback time, comes consequence time. As Austin is raising our grandson, Tim, there's a, a, a consistent theme that he's been dealing with, Tim with, as he's going through his twos and threes year now. And the issue is this, when Tim does something and Austin's trying to correct him, and Tim's like, I don't wanna do that, or I don't wanna eat that, or I don't like that, Dad says, well then, Tim, there's a consequence. And Tim hates that even more than Dad telling him to do something or not do something. And when the consequence hits, little Timmy is very upset. But what Austin is doing is correct because he loves his son as the Bible, as the Word of God said, so he disciplines him, right? He leads him into the right ways, not into the things that Tim wants and doesn't want. Because even as a three-year-old, the things that Tim wants are seductive. Well, why would you eat a salad and a piece of meat when you can have candy and ice cream all your life, right? Why would you lay down and get rest when you can play and stay up and get grouchy, right? Even a three-year-old struggles with this seductiveness and enticedness of wanting to do things your own way, with what makes you happy and feel good. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that we've heard this many times in, in application to those who twist the Word of God, those who don't adhere to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says this, for the time will come, and I think for many the time is here, that there will be those who will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they will look at the gospel, the teachings of Christ in the Bible and say, no, 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 no. That's not right. But wanting to have their ears tickled, in other words, wanting to get what they want, things that match up with their chosen lifestyle, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, in accordance to what? Their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from truth and they will turn to myths. Paul knew even at this time, about 60, 80 years after Christ, that the culture of this world would collide with the gospel of Jesus. That the culture of this world will say, we don't want to hear these teachings because, as we've heard many times, they're limiting, they're confining, which the actual is actually the truth, that they abide abundant life, they abide comfort and joy, they abide us from colliding into sin and consequence. But when people are in this lifestyle of living by the culture and do what makes you feel good and what is in your own heart, 
they don't want the teachings of Christ in the Bible because it conflicts with their chosen lifestyle of me being able to do what I want. Just like Tim, in his three-year-age state of life, he doesn't want to eat healthy. He wants the stuff that he thinks tastes good. He doesn't want to lay down and get good rest. He wants to have a free-for-all. He doesn't want to go home all the time. He wants to do this and do this and do this. And we look at that simple lifestyle of a three-year-old, we find ourselves in the same way often, don't we? We're enticed to have really unhealthy habits. We're enticed to do what we want and not what we should. In the church, I look at it this way, and for those listening, whether in person or online, this could be extremely convicting. And this is speaking specifically to Christians, to those who have found salvation in, in Jesus Christ. This wanting to have our ears tickled, wanting to have a gospel based around how we want to live, lives itself out this way in our culture. It explains why perfectly healthy Christians with some kind of mobile device, not a phone, but a car or a bike or a skateboard or roller skates, whatever it may be, some kind of transportation, don't go to church when the Bible commands do not forsake the fellowship of believers. This is why Christians or religious people say they are fully content to stay home and watch stuff online by themselves in their own home when the Bible clearly says, no, you be in a fellowship where you're giving, you're contributing, you're receiving, you're encouraging one another. You're building up the church. It's the same way why these Religious people don't tithe and serve as the Bible calls them to. Because the Bible says that we are given spiritual gifts not for our own sake, but for what? The edification and the building up of the church. We are given spiritual gifts to bless others, to serve them. God calls us to give a tithe as a sign of our commitment to Him. He doesn't need the money. He's like, it's an issue of, will you keep all that for yourself? Or will you give? Will you realize that every good thing that you have comes from the Father above? Or do you really think you've earned that yourself? It's pretty convicting. It's why religious people claim they love God. And in the church, it's praise God, hallelujah, if they're in church. But at work, they backstab, they lie, they gossip, and they do whatever they need to do to get ahead and to put other people down. It's why so-called godly people shack up and live together before marriage and say, you know, it's okay because we're what? We're in love. So it's okay and God will forgive us. You see how culture and the word of God collide? And how easy it is for people, even in the church, to water down the gospel, to buy in this seductive, enticing issue called sin, to rationalize their lifestyle before the Word of God and say, well, yeah, we know the Word of God says that, or we just don't read that part, but it's okay for us because this is how we choose to live our life. Well, here's the reality. When you and I have done that, we have set up ourselves to be our own God, and we are not serving the God of the Bible. And that's a hard truth. But if we're going to grapple with being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, a doer of His Word, we have to grapple with those issues and test ourselves to see if we are of the faith. John 10.10, 10, as we've looked at many times, tells us this. 
as it speaks of how Satan entices us to rationalize our lifestyle when it goes against the Word of God. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and, what? Destroy. If you are in salvation, Jesus has drawn you out of the clutch of sin and damnation and hell and put you in his life and your, your security and your eternity is secure in him. And Satan realizes, man, if I can't take them and have them in control, well, then I'm going to entice them and bring them down in their lifestyle as much as possible. But in contrast, John 10.10 also goes on to say that Jesus came to bring what? Life and life abundant. It's the difference between happiness that is fickle and comes and goes and joy that is consistent and constant and is based on the firm foundation of Jesus. We read in John 15, verses 5 to 6, the command of Jesus for those who would be his disciples, those who would be Christians, of the call to follow him and stay in him. John 15, verses 5 to 6 states this. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I abide in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, now catch this, or apart from me so Jesus says if you're in me you live and do what I say and call you to do you live in my image your character your morality your values look like me not like the world but if you separate yourself from me as a branch if you as the branch say hey I don't need the vine I don't need that foundation I can do it on my own he says but apart from me you can do nothing and if anyone does not abide in me catch this he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned it's a pretty confrontive issue about following Christ and going out on our own truth is when we abide in Christ we collide with the values and morality of this world. And we need to do two things. Not only point out worldly values as they try and sneak their way into the kingdom of God and God's people, but we also need to spend our energy not living that way, but living the way that God has called us to do. And that brings us to our closing point as we collide with the world, and that's simply this. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. It's not simply enough to say no to the things of the world. We also need to take a step further and say yes to the things of God. John 14, 17, our last verse for the day, states this. He is the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, and the world cannot accept him because neither they neither see him or know him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be with you. You see, when we come to salvation, once again, God makes us a new creation. He covers the penalty of sin in our life, forgives us completely with his grace, and we have a new chance of life. And to make sure that we can live that new chance of life, to live a godly life, which is impossible without Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit. But here's what John states in John 14. He says, Hey, the world doesn't see the Holy Spirit. It doesn't like the things of the Holy Spirit. It can't even understand the ways of the Holy Spirit because they are not of the Holy Spirit. 
But you who have salvation by grace and the only begotten Son of Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit or called the Helper who is with you. We have that at the point of salvation. But as we realize we collide with the world, there's something that we need to do. We need to stop the background noise, but we need to focus on what is good. In other words, we have the Holy Spirit, but it also takes effort and practice and dedication dedication to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here's the crazy thing. The, the Old Testament talks about a prophet who was waiting to hear the voice of God. And there was a great fire and a great rushing wind and there was an earthquake. There was loud stuff that happened. And the prophet's waiting to hear the voice of God. And in this great fire and this great noisy wind and the earthquake of the mountain, you know what he did not hear? The voice of God. That's the loud noises. You ever notice how you can drive up and down I-15 and there's all kind of enticing things? I mean, the ones that I see all the time are like, you know, make your life better, have Botox, have plastic surgery, don't diet, we'll just cool sculpture the fat out of you. What they don't say is, if you don't change your lifestyle, what happens to that fat? It comes back in and then you're back in to cool sculpturing again for round two and round three of body makeover. It's about changing your lifestyle. We are enticed always. But with that prophet in the Old Testament, the Bible states that there was a very still, calm wind. And what did he hear in that still, calm wind? The voice of God. The symbolism is this. The world screams and yells at you and I, hey, do this, it will make you happy. Hey, do this, it's a shortcut, but it'll be okay, there's no consequence. Hey, try this, it'll make you feel good. The voice of God is not there. But those voices are loud and all around us. So as Christians, again, we don't just say no to the world. We don't just shut those voices out. But we focus and practice on hearing the voice of God and the moving of the Holy Spirit in our life that we come to a calm place, a still place, and we put ourselves before God and we listen for God to speak in that still calm voice that is reassuring and leads us into the ways to go. It keeps us out of those rough patches of living the ways of our culture, not knowing when the ground is going to give way or the snow is going to give way. And we're not only up to our hips, but in some places, like I see the, the documentaries in Alaska and other places where you step in and all of a sudden you go in a crevice and you're gone. It keeps us from that. The world is trying to draw you into values that are inconsistent, seductive, and even worse, completely destructive. But the Spirit of God collides with those. But in contrast, the Spirit of God is trying to lead us into a place that is consistent and faithful and joyful and worthwhile where we don't have to worry if we follow God's ways that we're going to fall through the snow or the ice or the ground somewhere because we're on that firm foundation. We have built our house on the firm foundation of Christ and the ground will not give way. False lies and truths and principles of our culture, 
follow your heart. Do whatever makes you happy. You're an army of one. You're a self-made man or woman. You can become anything you set your mind to. I love that one because no matter how hard I try, I will never be the quarterback for the Denver Broncos. It ain't gonna happen, right? But the culture says, oh yeah, you can. You can, if you, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And it's all a lie. So we need to recognize these enticing, seductive, changing values of our culture and realize how not only seductive and enticing they are, but how destructive they are in our lives. Instead, we need to turn our hearts from all that noise and self-gratification and self-expression and turn our ways back to God and say, Lord, if your word says this, I will stand upon your word because it is unchanging. It is not man-made. It is God-made. It is creator-made, so he knows the big picture. It is unfailing, and it will lead me in, as the Bible calls, the paths of righteousness. It will lead me to still waters and green pastures. It will lead me, no matter what turmoil is around me, into places that my heart is calm, and I am not anxious, but my heart is secure on my relationship with Jesus Christ, on the foundation of which I have built, on obeying his word and following Christ, and living that lifestyle, realizing that that lifestyle will radically collide with the culture of our time. So recognize the enticement, choose to live and listen for the word of God and the Holy Spirit, and realize that if you collide with culture, that's not a bad thing. It's simply a sign that you're living the faith that God has called you to live, just like Christ. I mean, Christ actually warned us 2,000 years ago. He says, if you truly follow me, those that I came to save did what? Rejected me. And they will do the same to you. Colliding with our culture is not a bad thing. In fact, it's what... The ministry, it's the ministry that God has given us to live out, to show the culture there is a more foundational, consistent way in Christ that is unfailing and doesn't last temporarily or have bad consequences, but gives us contentment and security and hope in that firm foundation. Let's pray. Father, we uh, sometimes it's scary to realize that uh, if we truly live for you and do things your way, that we will collide with the culture around us. Those loud, screaming voices that tell us to, to live for ourselves, to, to keep all for ourselves, to, to do whatever makes us happy or feels good. Lord, it's also challenging to realize that even in our own lives as Christians, that oftentimes we we rationalize the way we are living when it comes against your word. Lord, help us to realize the truth of your word, the miracle of salvation, the gift of being a new creation and receiving the Holy Spirit in our lives and help us to tune our ears to shut the noise of the world out and to hear the leading and encouragement and the voice of the Holy Spirit as we choose to be men and women of God, realizing that you, like you, Jesus, we will collide with our culture. 
but that you've given us that ministry to show the world, just as Jesus did, the truth and security of the foundation in you. In Jesus' name.